You're listening to Campus Review Radio. Brexit, Trump, Australian Prime Ministerships. What do these things have in common? Professor Tara Brabazon from Flinders University has some answers. You write about the causes behind world events such as Brexit and Trump, and that is people who have voted for things that actually work against them. So I was wondering if you can outline what some of those causes are. Yes, I suppose the first thing I would say is I, I don't believe in causality or linearity. So I don't think we're I think we're probably thirty years on from a, a cause and effect conversation. I think the world is much more complex than this. And one of our co authors, the wonderful late Steve Redhead, said, you know, we're now in accelerated modernity. So, you know, I think causality is almost impossible to prove. When we're dealing with correlations, I think it becomes interesting. So our theoretical argument is clear that we're now living in a period of what Jean Baudrillard referred to as a double refusal, and that is the refusal of leaders to lead and the refusal of people to be led. And that leads to an incredible series of very odd events like we're seeing with Brexit and Trump, but also the revolving door that is the Australian Prime Ministership, uh, the complexity of Macron in France, uh, Justin Trudeau in Canada. So what we have is a very complicated series of discussions whereby in the old days the argument used to be about self-interest that people would simply act in their own best self-interest and these days of course that's not occurring what Brexit and Trump show are the very people who do not gain from a Brexit the very people who actually lose from a Trump in the presidency are the people that voted for them and voted for Brexit And that's because particular dog whistles and particular levers were pulled in the discussion. And obviously race, racism, xenophobia, border walls and so forth, immigration, all those variables were deployed in most of these cases. And therefore, when you create an enemy within that is not an enemy, uh, you're blocking, deflecting, masking a discussion of many of the real and big and important events, which are about the economy, about the political economy, about social justice, about the redistribution of wealth. And we're not having these conversations. Instead, we're talking about a wall or or we're we're talking about uh, uh, subsidies for Cornish cream. So we're picking very minor issues and and rendering them very large. So there's no causality there. It's a very, very complicated social, intellectual, personal and political environment uh, that is being unmanaged (laughs) unmanaged by unleaders. So a lack of leadership. I'm not sure if your book covers this, but did you propose any solutions to this? Oh, certainly, absolutely. Uh, And the solution is via education. The characteristic of the people that voted for Donald Trump is they were the least educated members of the US nation. The people who voted for Brexit similarly were in highly regionally specific areas, obviously some of the poorest areas of the United Kingdom, but also the men and women that didn't have the opportunity of a university education. So it is actually a conversation about education. This is a a conversation about ensuring that the body politic, that citizens have 
media literacy and information literacy and so therefore aren't taking composite news, aren't taking, you know, press releases, aren't taking a tweet as a fact, uh, that actually they have the context and the intellectual experience and expertise to seek out information and interpret it. We, we live in an environment that, you know, I don't use the phrase fake news, really. I think it's used once in the book in inverted commas. What I'm interested in is, is information literacy. And what I'm interested in is citizens having a diverse range of information sources and ideas and having the information literacy to be able to make their minds up. But we live in an age now, and of course my former books, <laughs> the, the University of Google, Digital Dieting, to name just a couple of them, uh, are, are about this and, and make the case very clearly that we live in an age where reading is optional. We live in an age of ignorance. We live in an era of fear. And that's simply because people are not getting beyond themselves. We live in intensely selfish times, Instagram times. We assess who we are by our capacity to get likes on Facebook and, you know, loves on Instagram. Well, you know, how about you read something rather than take another picture of yourself? So in practical terms, how do you propose that this re-education or education take place? Uh, teach information and media literacy in schools and teach information and media literacy in universities. It was my great privilege when I was teaching in the United Kingdom at the University of Brighton that I was involved in implementing information literacy programs throughout the university, including in the Brighton and Sussex Medical School uh, for first-year medical students. And I think that's quite important because patients are coming to surgeries in the United Kingdom and Australia and elsewhere having put something into Dr Google and hoping for the best so we can pretend that Google doesn't exist or we can actually enable our medical students that then become medical graduates and then doctors to have those information literacy skills understand what their patients are finding and enabling their patients to have higher order and higher levels of information literacy so without a doubt in my mind what we need to be focusing on is enhancing improving and lifting uh, the standards that we expect at schools the standards that we expect at universities. We need to be increasing the amount of reading all of us do from students but also citizens and demanding more of all of us. Demanding more of all of us as citizens. If you breathe, you have rights but if you breathe, you also have a responsibility to read and think and understand what's happening in the world beyond again what's happening with your mobile phone. Because this becomes a political issue, are yes. you expecting any pushback? Uh, I'm not bothered about pushback at all. Uh, my late husband and I uh, are all political operatives, so I I'm not remotely bothered or concerned about what uh, people on you know, the extreme right or the religious right might have to say about me or about anybody else. I'm not terribly bothered at all about what anybody says at Twitter. The advantage, I think, of, of being a scholar who and I've worked in, what, eight eight universities, nine universities in four countries, is anything that I could have seen, I've seen. Anything that could have been said has been said. So uh, <laughs> with the greatest respect, the whole point of being an academic is debate and discussion and taking alternative views. And what I'm interested in and what I'm committed to is reading and thinking and writing. 
and you know I read a great deal, I write a great deal. My twentieth book is about to be published, so I'm not mucking about here. Uh, and so I'm I'm very comfortable with pushback. I'm very comfortable with you know discourse and dialogue and debate. I'm sure a lot of it will be coated uh, in sexism, as we see so frequently on the planet at the moment. Uh, and so you know, as I always say, just bring it. Not bothered at all. Just bring it.